Good morning, City Hope. Good to be back. Thank you. It's great to be back. I want to welcome all the campuses. Thank you so much for being with us this weekend, and I hope you've had a great summer. It's almost over. And, and, and listen, the great part about being back uh, is we're going to start a new series, but even better than that is our, our latest grandchild. This is his first service in church. He waited for Poppy to get back before he come to church for the first time. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's just three months old. He's going to be big like his Poppy. He's actually sitting right over there if you want to. I, I actually, he's sitting right over there just so you know. Zeke is in the house. So uh, I started to bring him up here, but if I did, I know that you wouldn't hear a thing I said because you'd be watching him. But anyway, okay. So that was good. And listen, I want to say a special thanks to all the pastors who filled the pulpit while I was gone. They did a phenomenal job. Can we give them a big hand? <clears throat> I, and speaking of pastors, I'd like for Pastor Brian to come out. Pastor Brian Russo has been our worship pastor. He's been here two and a half, three years. And Brian and Susan, his wife's going to come out. And I want to give you a little update on these guys. Uh, they have done a phenomenal job here leading us in worship. We're so proud of them. Yeah. They came to City Hope with a mission. They came to City Hope with a ministry. It's called I Heart World. And they work with sex trafficking. trafficking and they have been given an opportunity to run and manage and minister in a house that these victims will live in and minister to them. Uh, they're going to be moving to Wisconsin, and uh, we, we are going to miss them. But I wanted you to know that they have done a phenomenal job here. We're so proud of them. And what God has put in your heart to complete and finish there uh, is going to be phenomenal. We, we want you to come back and visit. Our door is always open. We love you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us, not just in our staff, but in all of our people to lead us. And we're really proud of them and what God's doing and going to do in their lives. I know they're going to move to where it's cold. And so I just said, you'll have to come visit us. We're not going up there. So anyway, <laughs> but, but they're okay with that. They, they want to come back. So if you'll do this with me, this may make you a little uncomfortable, but you'll get over it. Uh, just stretch your hand forward this way and let, let's pray for these guys, okay? Father, we thank you for this family and what they've invested in our church. And we pray your blessings on them in the ministry, the mission you've given them. Will you bless them? We have so many people involved in it here, and we support them, and you support them. And we pray that you take them to a new level, and you bless everything they put their hands to. Allow them to minister to these people so that they're set free from things that they don't even know that they're bound to. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. 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 Give them a big hand. Bless you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, I saved this weekend to do something, uh, so I get a little favor out of this maybe. But uh, really it was more for the group on Saturday evening. Uh, so, but this may affect you and some of the campuses. Here's what I've learned. In the last seven, I don't know, seven or eight years, we've had a Saturday evening service. And there's a certain season of the year where things are a little distracted. And uh, it's the fall. And, and some of you... 
you know, your team's playing and you're not here, and then some of you come and you're here, but you're watching your team in the halls and you're, you know, and all that. So here's what I want to do, okay? I want us to, I want you to go along with this. Let's just see how it works. This is for the guys, too. Guys, this is all for you, so stand up for me, okay? So on August 30th, we're going to take our Saturday night, and we're going to move it to Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, okay? So there'll be three more Saturday night services, and then we'll start on Sunday afternoon at 5. Same service, everything will be the same, and we'll run it that way for the end of the year, and we'll just see how it goes. Is that okay with everybody? All right. <clears throat> Some of the football fanatics, are, they were bowing down and worshiping me in the hallways. But <laughs> no, it's, 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 I, I, believe me, as a pastor, it is distracting, not just that people are in and out, but, man, we, we have people from everywhere that live here, and everybody's got a football team, so it's just, you know. Anyway, let's just try it, okay? Okay? Okay. One more thing. Uh, if you have not signed up for the Israel trip, I'm going to be leading a team of people from City Hope Church in November to Israel. Uh, we return the day before Thanksgiving. I encourage you to go. We have like seven, eight days to sign up. Please do that if you're going. We will be doing this trip next year, so you can plan for it. If you have not been, you need to go. It will change your world. It's incredible. And it's not just the normal trip. We'll be going to some places that are not, you know, on the normal tour. Uh, we'll be going to a city called Ariel, which is actually a city sister of Mobile. We'll be there. We'll be on the Galilee. We'll be doing other things and, and just a lot of little things with our partners there that we minister with. And so it will be a very unique trip. And if you can go, I encourage you to. And if you can't, put it on your agenda for the next couple of years, okay? All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to share with you in a message uh, something that's on my heart. And I want to start it off by saying this. I want to ask you to join me as I call City Hope Church to 10 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, it will start next Thursday, this coming up Thursday, August the 6th, and it'll go through the 15th. I'm going to talk about that in this, in this message. And, and prayer directives, the Lord's put four prayer directives on my heart. I'm going to share that in the message also. And we'll put those in your hand. Uh, this series that I'm in uh, is called Kingdom Culture. It consists of five messages. The second message will be on first Wednesday, which is coming up this Wednesday. It'll be the first Wednesday message, August the 5th. We'll give you the prayer directives. They'll be on our website also. On the first Wednesday, this series, the message that I'm going to give you is what to do when you need a miracle. And it's not, if you need a miracle, you need to be here. It's not to convince you to believe in miracles, but it's for you to ask yourself, can God do my miracle? And then whatever your miracle is, can God do my miracle? And if you have a conflict and you can't be here, we will be streaming that service so you can pick it up online. Now, here's what I want to do. In this series for five weeks, we're going to be looking into the book of Daniel. And we're going to start in a few minutes, and I'm going to read some of Daniel to you, a lot of Daniel to you. He's one of the most famous characters in, in the Old Testament, and, and probably for some of you, because of your background in church or Sunday school, it's like, okay, I remember the lion's den or thrown in the fiery furnace, or some of you will remember the detailed prophecies and all the charts you've been taught and all that good stuff. I, I, but there's another part of the story that can be considered the main point for today. So I want to take what I see as the main point of that entire book for this day that we live in. 
This story is going to show Daniel, his three friends, and bad things happen to them in a culture that they're not in agreement with. Why aren't they in agreement with this culture? Remember, Babylon represents a culture. It represents a spirit. It represents the world. I'll tell you what that word means later in the series in the Greek. But they're, they're, in, they're thrown into this culture. They're, they're, you know, it's just a, they're, they're called as bystanders. They're thrown into this culture. They're not in agreement with the culture because of their convictions. You understand that I cannot push or, or force convictions, convictions on you. Convictions come from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from man. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. So when you take the Word and then you pray, the Holy Spirit will put convictions in your heart of what you believe and why you believe it. So this guy has convictions. He's living in a culture that, that he does not believe in, in this culture and what they do. They are literally moved to another world. Babylon was considered another world. It was the controller of the world at that time. Actually, since that time, there's only been three controllers of the world, and you'll see as we get into this that there, there's not going to be another one, okay? It's, it's, that's it. So here's the subtitle of the message that I'm wanting to get to and ba back it into fasting. How do we live godly lives in a world gone haywire? The story of Daniel is an incredible example of how to live and thrive in a culture that's gone haywire. The lessons we're going to learn in the next five messages, it's, it, there's a template that's for today. It's relevant today. And, and, and I'm not getting into the details of the prophecies and, 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 and all of that. That, that. That's not what I'm wanting to see. And in this series, I am talking to several generations. I'm not just talking to my generation. I'm talking to the generation that's 18 to 30 years old because this generation, you are saturated in a culture and we're saturated in a culture. And what we have to understand is we, we need that understanding of how to thrive and, and you see, and, and not back up and not regress and not dig ourselves in a hole and not become negative. But how do we thrive in our culture? And, and, and because it seems like the moral fabric is just decaying at a high speed. And, and because you see, just a few decades ago, culture responded to Bible-believing Christians. It was more from a, a, a grudging respect. Okay, you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah, you know. But then it goes to a, a marginalizing indifference, and, and now even it's an outright hostility if you say you're a Christian. Now, we live in the Bible Belt, so we don't encounter a lot of that, but I'm talking worldwide. So that, that's a little scary, you know. And if you were raised in church like I was, and you've heard all this, and you've been taught all this, and you know all this stuff, your first reflex is to go into scare mode, confusion mode, fear mode, and to go back and focus on that. But you see, I don't think God uh, made a mistake. I think he knew exactly what he was doing in this whole timeline. He's in control of that. I'm not in control of that. He knows what he's doing. He does the supernatural. I just can do the natural in my human being. So what is it he wants me to do? Because he knows who's living in the end of the end times, and, and we believe Jesus is coming back. Don't know when, uh, but, but we know he's coming back, and we're living in the end times, so it's probably going to be pretty soon. But what am I supposed to do while I'm here? Do I just retreat? Do I become negative? Do I become a, a finger pointer and, 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 and condemn people and all that? No, 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 no. That's not what we're going to learn, because in this book, we're going to see how right in the middle of fear and confusion and, and chaos in our world, that there's a model here to show us how to live a godly life in this crazy world that we live in. So he, he found a way in a culture that's far wicked, more wicked than anything we face today. I mean, I, I haven't heard of too many uh, lion's dens and fiery furnaces, but, but you know, it, it was pretty wicked then. And he was able to serve God with integrity and, the, and, 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 and power. 
And here's the influence that one man had in 70 years. He had the influence that two kings, two kings, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and then and he actually bow, he actually says that his, his God is the living God and the great God. The next king who overthrows Nebuchadnezzar, he actually says Daniel, Daniel's God is the living God. That's the kind of influence that he's has, he has. And, and, and his friends, the, the, as we know, those, those three Hebrew boys, they influenced the citizens of other nations. And Well, how did he do that, Pastor? How did he do it? Well, obviously God's hand was upon Daniel, but Daniel was also a man of faith. Here's what he brought to the table. He brought courage, credibility, and perspective. I think those three qualities are of short supply today. I, I don't think there's a lot of courage, credibility, and perspective, and here's, why, here's how I see it. I think there, it's not in, in supply today because they actually come out of wisdom, humility, and hope. If I don't have, if I don't have wisdom, I can't have courage. If, if, if I don't have humility, I can't have credibility. And if I don't have hope, my perspectives are skewed. I, I, I don't know what's going on, and I just hope this works and that works. So I think because that God uses Daniel and gives favor to Daniel to his captors, he gives him influence, and it affects all of Babylon. It affects the world. When I say Babylon, think the world. It's the spirit, the spirit on the world. So Daniel's counterintuitive response to wicked leaders and even coworkers that are evil in a godless culture, it's just seldom seen today. You don't really see it. And many of our responses today are actually the opposite. From what we hear, see from Daniel, our spiritual leaders are actually responding the opposite, and committed Christians are doing the opposite. And, and some of the things that people say, and some of the platforms people say, and some pastors and some church, whatever, it's just like, no, 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 let's don't do that. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not the way we're supposed to handle this. So I want to share with you my heart, what God's put in my heart. I have wrestled with this for over four weeks. I know the day when this came, I, where I was on the Rhine River, actually, in Germany. When this whole thing came in, and I started wrestling with this and wrestling with this I didn't want to take this series and put it before you where we're going for the five weeks but I, I, I actually had the release last weekend I was at the Honduras campus preaching and I got a release there do this this is a timely message for your people the Lord said and give it to them because listen I can't force convictions on you I, I, I can't if I do it's religion and it's it's manipulation and, and, and listen, if I have to manipulate you or force you or, or con you into doing all of this, you're not going to have the real deal when the time comes where you need the real deal. Because then you're going to be looking for a man, and the man can't do it, okay? So you, 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 I really want you to capture this, and, and I want you to listen as I get into this. And, and uh, you know, we, we, I, I think that our responses as Christians is why we've lost so much ground in this so-called culture wars today. So let's go to the story. Daniel comes from Israel to Babylon. Israel has been defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel and his Hebrew friends come into Babylon, and then he starts a fast. There are two types of fasts in Daniel. At the end of the book, there's a 21-day fast. You're familiar with that. We do that the first of the year. That's, a, that's a, a, a prayer intercessory warfare deal going on there. This one is a little different. 
because this is a 10-day fast, not just because of the days, but Daniel says, hey, listen, give me veggies and water for 10 days. I don't want to eat the king's table that I've been commanded to eat. His fast was basically giving up something for 10 days, something that he really liked, something he, you know, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to, you know, meat, sweets, bread, whatever it is. It's the main focus was for him to focus on God, and when you give up pleasure foods, then maybe are things that you are really addicted to, you know, like ice cream or or, or donuts or whatever, you know, or you, you can't, you overdo. So, you know, you, you, you give those up, okay? And, and you're looking at me, you know, real strange. But it, it's not to hurt you. God gets no glory out of our suffering. The purpose of our fast is to focus on God and those things in our lives that really need a breakthrough in our lives or in our nation. And I know coming back off a sabbatical and doing a message on fasting is like, what in the heck are you doing? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So listen and follow through this because I think for us as a church, we're going to fast and we're going to pray for 10 days starting next Thursday. If you don't pray on this fast, you're just on a diet, okay? So we want to pray. I'm going to give you four directives. I'm going to tell you what they are today, and then we'll put them on your hand. We'll put them in the website. Here they are. Number one, we're going to pray for our children. I've had parents ask me, how do we raise our kids today? What do we tell our kids today? If my kid asks about this question and this cultural question, how do I address that? What do I do? So uh, next weekend, I'm going to be talking about our children and, how, and the spiritual part of our children and what we do. And, how we, and I'm not just talking about our little guys. I'm talking about our college guys, too. We're, we're going to be praying for our children, their schools, their teachers, their educators, their principals, the, 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 the safety of their schools. We're going to be praying for what they're being taught. We're going to do that. Secondly, we're going to pray for government leaders from the local government to the White House. Thirdly, we're going to pray for persecuted Christians around the world and even those who are martyred in their families. And we're going to pray for pe more people to come to know Jesus than we've ever seen in our lifetime. So that's the prayer perspective. Now, Daniel, he's a perfect example for every Christian of how we can stand righteously for God in an evil age. We're living in a culture where we see immorality, violence, and corruption, and it's not just across the borders of America, it's all around the world. So what are we to do? How do we respond to the culture around us? How do we make a difference? You know, how do we live for God? How do we make a difference? That's what I want to answer, and I want to show you how important fasting is. So in Daniel, go to your device or your Bible or watch the screens. I'm going to read you this story. I'm going to read 14 verses. Don't turn me off. Follow the story. It's really important that I lay this out. I really want you to hear the story. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He conquered Jerusalem. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. So he, he goes into the temple of God. He robs articles out of the temple of God. And then he takes them, it says, the articles into the treasure house of his God. So he takes them to his false God's temple. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now when he says children, he's not talking about the little guys, okay? He's talking about those 20-year-olds and those 25-years-old. He, he, he's talking about young men and young women, but they're children of the, some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, some of the leaders. Verse 4, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, 
knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. I'm going to talk about the Chaldeans, what comes out of them, what religion, what, what we know in our world that comes out of them. But they're going to be taught this. They're taken out of Israel. Verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine of which the king drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So they're going, to be, they're going to be taught and trained for three years by the Chaldeans. That's a whole other message. You'll get to it later. Now, from among those sons of Judah, they, the Bible's going to identify four of them. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the units gave names. To Daniel, he called him Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he may, might, not be de, might not defile himself. Verse 9, And God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. And so the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, Hey, I fear the Lord the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's appointed you your food and your drink, for why should he see our faces looking worse and sad than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. If you don't eat the right foods, the king's going to know it. He's going to cut my head off. Daniel, verse 11, said to the steward from the chief of the eunuchs that he said over Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, uh, please test your servants, test the four of us for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink and then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, tested them 10 days. So here's what happened. These guys are taken captive, brought into cap to Babylon. Their names are changed, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And, 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 and Nebuchadnezzar is a type of, of Satan, a type of, he changed their names. Now, we grew up in church. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Th that's the common names that we know. But understand this, that those names are evil, demonic names. I'm going to show you what they mean. And I want you to see from this story that the Daniel fast is in response to being renamed. Daniel's response to being renamed is, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to submit and eat the king's food. I'm going to fast. They're taken into Babylon. They're told two things. You're going to eat the king's food. Remember, everything in Daniel has a spiritual significance. So the food represents the food of the world. I'm not going to eat what the world eats. I'm not, not just the natural food necessarily, but what the world takes in. I'm not going to just consume that. And, you, and, oh, and you're going to eat from the king's table what I say, what you want. I'm going to give you what you don't, what you don't want, but I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to rename you. So in response, Daniel fasted. Nebuchadnezzar's purpose for their new names, here's his purpose, and he's a type of the enemy, is to scrub God off of them. They're, they're Hebrews. He, he really wants to scrub Israel off of them. He wants to scrub the Jew off of them is what he wants to do. Because names in that culture meant ownership. When you own something, you could name the thing that you own. So Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, I own you, Daniel, and your friends now. You belong to us, not to the God of Israel. So the chief eunuch, Aspenaz, he renamed them. So watch the names, okay? Daniel's name in the Hebrew means God is my judge. And that is in a good sense. It means I'm accountable to God. He's my ultimate accountability. I'm accountable to him. They rename him Belteshazzar. And, and, and here's what that means. The last part of that name means protect the king. The first part, the bell, means lady. So here's what they're saying. Hey, lady, protect the king. How many of you know that's not a good name for a man? 
That, that's like the old song, A Boy Named Sue. Oh, you old people remember that song? Yeah, that's not a good name for a man, okay? So when, what they said to Nebuchadnezzar is, hey, listen, uh, you, you, he's saying, you, you don't serve your God first anymore. Your, your life's no longer about serving the God of Israel. Now you're going to serve the king of Babylon. Now you're going to serve the world. The name was meant to refocus the attention of their life to the king of Babylon and off of the God of Israel. Hananiah, his name means God has been gracious. That's what his name means. And, and, and listen, the grace of God is what sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world. Our God is a gracious God. They rename him Shadrach, and that means I'm fearful. So this man's name goes from grace to fearful. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So the king of Babylon says, oh, listen, listen, he, here's the way he operated. Here's what he's conveying to people, all people, even these four Hebrews. Hey, uh, listen, 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 listen. I, don't make me mad. If you make me mad, I'm going to cut your head off. You no longer serve the God of Israel who's been patient with you for years and, turned, and you've turned your nose up at him. The Israelites had. They've been disobedient, and God allowed all this to happen, okay? He allowed this to happen. I'm telling you, I'll kill you if you mess with me. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to kill you. I'll cut your head off. The people of Babylon feared their king. They served their king out of fear, not out of love and devotion. What kind of king is that? What kind of government is that? You want to serve out of fear and not love and devotion. So grace goes to fear. Mishael, it, his, his name means what, who is what God is. Who is what God is? What does that mean? Who compares to my God? No one compares to my God. So they renamed him Meshach, and Meshach means I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So this man, his name goes from being, bringing glory to God to focusing on how bad he is. That's the devil. That's how he operates. It's the difference between grace and law. The law focuses on my deficiency. Grace focuses on his glories. So, see, when I'm living my life for God I, and in grace, I don't have to worry about how bad I am because Jesus dealt with that on the cross. Grace has set me free. So grace comes into Babylon from Israel and says, oh, no, 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 you're not going with that name. You're scum. You're trash. You're a Jew. You're, you, we're, we're not, you, you, you don't have a good name. We're going to give you the name. The devil gives us names, and they're not good names. The fourth one is Azariah. His name means God has helped. Yahweh has helped. It literally means I have had help and assistance from God. So he comes in with this testimony of hey, I've had help from God all my life. They rename him Abednego, and it means a servant of Nebo. Nebo was a Babylonian god of writing and a Babylonian god of vegetation. I, I don't know how you get writing and vegetation there in, in that god, but anyway, he, he wasn't a good god, not a real god, but he has to be a servant of this god now. So all of these names are humiliating names. They're put under, on these people under the fear of, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. The purpose of renaming them was to put their eyes on him, the king of Babylon, to degrade them and wash off the God of Israel. And then the king said, oh yeah, and you're assigned to eat at my table. Now, Jews had strict dietary requirements. They came through the Levitical laws. First in their laws, they could not eat with a non-Jew. They couldn't eat with a Gentile. All these people are Gentiles. And so until the New Testament, when Peter in the book of Acts, he has this vision and a sheep drops down out of heaven, and then God declares all these things are clean. All foods are clean. All people are clean. But until then, you could not eat with a non-Jew, and you could not eat non-kosher food. So they come into Babylon, and what he said was, oh, you're going to eat our food. And, and, and their food, you know, here's what makes it so bad. It's not the calories and it's not the sugar in it because the food they offered, I mean, it was good food. What was wrong with it? It's food that had been offered up to idols. 
When you pray over your food, you pray for it, and you sanctify it, this food was not sanctified. This food had been in idolatry offered up. So that's what they're eating. So Daniel knows, okay, when this happens, changing my name's bad, and now I've got to eat this stuff that's been offered to false idols. Okay, it's a full-scale assault against my faith. It's a full-scale assault against my convictions. And listen, this group of Babylons, the Babylonians, they've already beat up all of these Israelites, and they've already physically taken them, emotionally taken them, mentally taken them, and now here's the whole point. They're trying to beat them down spiritually. They're trying to attack the spirit of Daniel and the spirit of these people. So in response, Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the food. I may be in Babylon. I'm not going to act like I'm in Babylon. I'm not going to eat your food. I'm going to trust my God, and I'm going to spend the next 10 days focusing on God and making sure you don't defeat my spirit. The spirit of Babylon that we live in today, we still live in this spirit of Babylon. It's here. I wish I had time to tell you where it came from, but I promise you it's here. It started in Genesis, and it's here today. That spirit, what it wants to do is it wants to get you, it wants to defeat your spirit man. If your spirit man is defeated, you can't win. You can't live and thrive out of your soulish realm nor out of your body. You have to live and thrive spiritually out of your spirit man. So this spirit's job is to defeat my spirit man. What the devil did to them is what he does to us. His, his scheme then isn't just a one-time deal. It's his common theme all the way through Scripture. So here's the question. What does Satan really want? If that's his theme, what does he really want? Let me show you. First, here's what he wants. He wants to label us. How does he label us? He renames us. Listen to me. If you're a believer and you don't know who you are and you're a believer, he knows who you are. He knows you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. He knows you're a people for God's own possession. He knows you're the bride of Christ. He knows you're the righteousness of God in Christ. He knows you're the army of God. He knows that you are incredibly special to God, so special that he named you in your mother's room. And the Bible tells us when we get to heaven, we're going to get a white stone that's got that name on it. When we get to heaven, God has named us, but the enemy wants to change your name. He wants to change my name to one of those Chaldean names. No, he wants to change your name so that you see yourself as a loser, as pathetic. He wants you to change his, your name that you see yourself as a sinner, as a failure, immoral, a liar. Why? Because all of that degrades you. <clears throat> if he can degrade you, then you no longer believe in who you are. And what incredible godly names Daniel and his friends had from God. But what? What satanic names are given to degrade them? Why? To keep them from being who God wanted them to be. But they did not defeat Daniel's spirit and these men's spirit. So they did rise up to be who God called them to be. So the enemy wants to give you a name that's not attached to God. Why? He wants you to think that you can win without God. He wants you to think you can succeed without God. So if he relabels you and you say, well, I tried the Christian thing. I did this. I did that. That's not working. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm a pathetic. I'm, I'm addicted to this. I can't get out of that. I can't change this. I can't do that. You take on that identity. You, you have to understand, here's what you're going to do. You're going to try to succeed without God. You're going to try to accomplish things without God. You, you, you can't succeed without God. 
That's why we have to believe in God, I can do all things. I have to believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I have to believe that in God, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have to believe I'm going to rule and reign for Jesus Christ forever. And on this earth, I have to believe I've been given authority of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if I live in America or Asia or Europe or Africa or the Middle East. I am who I am in God. And nobody can change that. So how, how does the enemy label us? Here's how he labels us. From something that has happened to us or something that is happening to us. So some of us have stuff in the past. He labels us from that. And some of us are, are facing things in, right now in our culture. Right now, the government's telling jobs and, and, and businesses, oh, you have to do this and you have to do that. And we're doing things that we don't want to do, but oh, I'm going to lose my job if I don't do it. Slowly, the control is coming in. And so what, what, what he does, he takes those things. Well, I, I don't know what to do. I'm in fear. I'm in confusion. I'm in doubt. He starts to label us. And remember the pattern. The children of Israel, they've been defeated, and they've been defeated, and they've been humiliated. And they come back to God, defeated, humiliated for years. The center of their nation has degraded, and now they're defeated again. And they come into Babylon, and he says, oh, I'm going to label you guys. And, and so, and, and, and here's what the label does. It makes you think you don't deserve any better. If he can defeat your spirit, you think, I don't deserve any better. I mean, I can justify it. I mean, look at our whole nation of Israel. It's been up and down and in and out, and we failed here, and we failed there, and we failed there. We don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve God. We don't deserve any of that. What is that? That's a defeated spirit. And Daniel is so unique because he refuses to be renamed by these people for them to defeat his spirit. He's not going to be labeled. The second thing the devil wants to do is he wants to tame us. He wants to rename you and tame you. He, he said to them after he renamed him, oh, yeah, now you're going to eat the king's table. Forbidden food. Sacrifice food to, to demonic idols. It's good food. I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to be fantastic, but they were told to eat something bad. It would be, oh, oh, yeah, that's bad food. I can't eat that. That's unhealthy. No, no, it's good food. He's telling you to eat exactly what your flesh wants. Remember, everything's a spiritual connotation here. Your, your flesh wants, what does your flesh want? And the devil says, you know what? I'm going to defeat you through your flesh. I'm going to put something in front of you that you can justify. Because here they are. They're, they're Jews, and they're in Babylon. When you're in Babylon, you can justify eating Babylonian food. When Israel, you're in Israel, you can say, oh, I'm not going to the Babylonian restaurant tonight because I'm just not going to eat Babylonian food. This is all not the natural food. This is the spiritual. Or if you're back in Israel, you say, well, I'd eat kosher food, but all the kosher cooks are dead, and, and now we're controlled by Babylon. And so, God, I'm sorry. I don't have a choice. I'm in Babylon. I have to do what they tell me to do in Babylon. I have to do what the world spirit said. And Daniel said, oh, no, I don't. Yeah, but everybody else is doing it. Yeah, but it, it, it's the norm. It's, it's what we do. It's, it's where we are. This is the world. This is the time. Oh, you, no, 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 no. Daniel said, no, I don't. I may be in Babylon, but Babylon's not going to get inside of me. Give me water and vegetables. They're kosher, and they haven't been sacrificed to demons. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying to the enemy. He's saying it to Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Satan. He's saying this, you will not use my flesh to tame me and keep me from my destiny in God. You're not going to make me a slave and degrade me through my flesh. Now, that's a powerful statement to come out of a man's spirit. Here's the third thing the devil wants. He wants to claim us. Wants you, he wants you to serve him, not God. And that's exactly what the, this, this, the devil did to Daniel and his friends. They want to claim them. Oh, hey, Nebuchadnezzar's your king. You're, he's the king of Babylon. Now you're in Babylon. And, and Daniel stood up and said, oh, wait, wait, wait. We may be in Babylon, but we serve the Most High. For us today, oh, we may be in a wicked world, but we're in a higher kingdom. 
Did you hear me? We may live in a wicked world. We may live in a wicked culture, but we are part of a higher kingdom. We, we're in part of a kingdom that has a culture that's different than the culture we live in. We may have a human authority over us, human authorities over us, good or bad, but our ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to forget that. And Daniel said, I'm not going to forget that. So the, Dan, so the, the devil's attacking full salt. What, what do they do? They fasted. As a direct result, Daniel fasted. Here's my question. Will the world change you, or will you change the world? Will Babylon change you, or will you change Babylon? I mean, are, are we here to change the world? Daniel did in 70 years. He changed it. He, he changed it. He affected the lives of two kings, all the authorities, all the co-workers. He has favor with the chief eunuch, all this stuff. His friends changed people in the world, and, and, and they stood up for God. Here's what I'm saying to you. Please hear me. I'm saying you will change the world, or the world will change you. Well, how, how do we do that? You will, you will be on offense or you will be on defense. They went on offense. Listen to me. We cannot go into defensive posture on the end time. We don't understand everything, and a lot of stuff people say they can't prove. It's just their, their point of view. And, and we don't understand. I trust God with all that. I'm not going to get in defensive mode and be a doomsayer, and I'm not going to retreat and pull back and afraid to do anything. I am going to be on the offense. What does that mean? That means I am going to thrive in this culture because God is my king, and I am going to see as many people find Jesus as I possibly can. That's what I'm going to do. And, and, and if you're part of City Hope, that's what we're going to do. I refuse to be on the defensive. They came on the offense into Babylon. And listen, they came in, and they're defeated, and they're humiliated, and they're told to eat food, sacrifice the demons, and they're told to do things that violate their conscience before God. That's beginning to sound like America. We're literally living in an age where our government's telling us to do things. It's hard to believe we're here, but, 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 but and I'll talk about that more in this series. So I want to close with this, Okay. I have two minutes to close, and I can't make it. Is that okay? I mean, you guys let me off for five weeks, so you're going to play catch-up. Here's what I want to show you. I said all of that to get to this. I want to show, because this is all about a fast. I've had people come up to me and say, I've been in church all my life, this church, that church, and I, I never heard this about fasting. I know, I've never done it. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I want to show you the, the four-fold purpose of fasting. Why you fast? You say, well, okay, I hear it. It's spiritual, but I don't understand it. I don't get it. I hope by the end of the message you'll get it. I'm going to use the original names that I just went through, and I'm going to give you the four reasons we fast. Because if you'll do this fast at the end of 10 days and you fasted, you're going to see things established in your life. Your life's going to be different. You're going to see this is why God answers prayer, because we fast in a supernatural way. God can answer prayers. So let me show you those, and then I'll be finished. Is that okay? Okay. Number one, fasting is establishing God as first. First in my life. Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is first. I live for God. Listen to me. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not on a bandwagon. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to take a pet peeve and major on it and, and go off on that. I, I, but I want you to hear my heart. I am a proud citizen of the United States of America. When I come back into this country, I love to go through customs, give them my passport, and I say, yes, I'm home. But the kingdom of God comes before my country. A million years from now, 
God will be on the throne. I'll be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven when America is long gone. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not dissing on America. I'm saying this is a temporary place. That's an eternal place. And we have to remember, first and foremost, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And Daniel said, I, I, I don't live for the approval of men. I live for the approval of God. Daniel said, I, I don't serve human authority first. I serve spiritual authority first. And when you tell me something to do that violates my most holy faith and convictions, I will obey him, my God, regardless of what you do to me. And that's the story of Daniel and his friends, the lion's den, the, 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 the fiery furnace. That's it. He said, God is first. They came to him and said, hey, girl, you need to serve the king. They renamed him the name that completely refocused him from his faith in God to serving man. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with obeying authority. We should obey, obey authority, uh, authority. But first comes God and then the human authority. And Daniel doesn't accept the fact that you're going to tell me that I am under a human being and not under God's authority. And so that's the focus of my life is to, it's supposed to be come under a man. That's what you're telling me to do. And I'm telling you, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm saying it in a righteous way, in a nice way. I won't eat your food. I'm not going to bow my knee because God is my judge. I'm not going to bow before this idol. I'm not going to do this. God is my judge. God is first. So fasting says God is first. Here's what fasting says. This is, this, this is so simple. It's not complicated. Listen to this. Fasting says I'm taking the things that my flesh likes, Whatever it is, it could be one or two, three, whatever. I'm taking the things my flesh likes, and I'm putting them away for a period of time to make an absolute statement that God runs my life, not things. Things could be meat or sweets or junk food or TV or movies, entertainment, money. It could be any of those things, things that are okay in and of themselves, but they do not deserve the place that God has. And if you can't give them up, then it controls you. And the enemy wants to control you. He puts something in your life to control you. Some it's drugs, some it's alcohol, some it's sex, some it's, it, it, it's cigarettes, it's tobacco. I mean, he, he, here's a great time for you to get, to get free from that and, 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 and to walk away from it. And they tell me it's the hardest addiction to break. Because when fast, what fasting says is everything in my life for the next two days, I'm gonna bow, it's going to bow knee to him, and I'm going to make an absolute statement that he's first, and if you can't give it up, it means it's controlling you. In that area, God is not first. So why does God bless fasting so much? Because then God's first in that part of your life that hasn't, he hasn't been first, and now he can open the windows of heaven and release blessings on you. Second reason for fasting. Fasting, fasting focuses my heart. It focuses my heart on God. Here's why I need that. Listen to me. I focus on his power and his love. It takes my focus off of problems and circumstances in the news. Are y'all breathing? Are you breathing? The whole purpose of fasting is to focus me toward God, not on problems. Because, see, bad focus develops fear. So if I'm hearing negative all the time, since, since we've been back, in, I've listened to the news one time, it's like, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't do it. I, I, it's, it's, it's just, I, it, it's such a bad focus. Half the book, listen to me, half the book of Daniel is about prophecy. Yes, Jesus is going to return to this earth. And I believe we're living in the end of the end times. And Jesus said, when you see these things happen, what? Things, signs of the end. And they've all happened. Look up, your redemption draws nigh. That is not tried advice. That's a very important advice. Why? Because the world is under judgment. The world is not under wrath. Wrath will happen during the tribulation. If you're a believer, when the tribulation happens, you're out of here. 
but it's under our world is under judgment and god loves america and, but but if you don't believe america's under judgment you're just not paying attention we're in a we're in decline the glory of our nation of america it's not there anymore the reputation the prestige the influence the power the authority it's not there it's declined and declined and but listen god hasn't changed his mind about america and he hasn't changed his mind about the people in america but people in america have changed their mind about god listen to me please listen to me i will not give up on my country but i will not depend on men to change it did you hear me I will not depend on any party, any president to change it. If we're counting on the government, it will never happen. But I need to pray for people who serve our government because whether they know it or not, they do not have the capacity to solve the problems we're facing. Only God can solve the problems, and he can solve them overnight if we put him in the place. So Jesus says, hey, you see these things happen, look up. Well, these things have all happened. And I'm not going into all those things. I've taught them and taught them. I'm not going to, but they've all happened. Look up. Don't look down. Don't look around. Don't retreat. Don't, put your focus on God. Don't get discouraged. Don't get in fear. Don't get negative. Don't be a doomsayer. Get focused. Yeah, but Pat, there's so many bad people. I mean, look at the news. In America, every week is this and that. Yes, yes. There are bad people out there. But there's a great God above all those bad people. And the problems are so incredible. Yeah, but there's a phenomenal God that can solve all the problems. You will succeed and thrive in your life if you focus it on Christ. You will overcome in an evil culture if you focus on God. But if you focus on this world, watch, you focus on Babylon, you will live in discouragement and confusion. And if you focus on people, on a man, on a system, you will lose your hope. And a people without hope, they're in trouble. It's like a sinking ship if you don't have hope. We've got to refocus our hope. We've got to get our perspective right. That's got to be on God. And, and, and listen, you say, well, what good can I do? No, here's Daniel. Here's, here's four guys. And look what they did. And it was, you know, 100 times worse than, I mean, than what's going on right now in a lot of perspectives. So uh, understand. Focusing, I'm putting my faith on God. I'm reminding myself that I live in the world, and, and, and maybe, yeah, well, we're humiliated because this happened, or we're demoralized in the Christian faith. But it's time to look at God. It's time to put my focus where my focus ought to be, and that's what fasting does. Here's the third thing fasting does. It releases God's favor in my life. Now, listen, this is my favorite one. Listen, Mishael, who is what God said is? And they renamed him. You're despised, you're humiliated. In other words, you've lost your favor, buddy. No favor. And that's what they're trying to say. You're not favored. Babylon is your, is your favor now. You serve us, you serve here. Fasting brings favor. Fasting says, God, I need your favor. Watch what happens the next, after the 10 days of the fast. Watch this, verse 15. And the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better. This is the four guys. And fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables and water. And as for the four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the kings had saw, said that they should be brought in, the chief eunuchs brought them in before King Nebuchadnezzar. After this ten days, okay, bring me, those, bring me all those guys in. And then 19, and the king interviewed them, and among all, none 
one were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, before they, therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in this realm. In fact, these four guys were being trained to be magicians and astrologers. That's what the three years is all about. So here's my question. What problem in your life could not be solved by favor? What problem in your life could not be solved? None. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency and all things have an abundance for every good work. God gave Daniel and his friends all grace, physical grace, mental grace, social grace, every kind of grace you can have. God's powerful to accomplish that. So why does God respond to fasting with favor? Here's the wrong answer. This is what we were taught in church, some of us. Well, God wants to see you suffer. Because you've, you've done a lot of rotten stuff this year. You've been a heathen. And I've recorded it. And I think about 10 days with no food, no fun, yeah, you can work that off. Because I really want to hear your stomach growl from the next block. I don't want you to smile, forget how to smile. I want you to be a grumpy, mad, unhappy Christian. You were bad last year. That's the wrong answer. The right answer, God loves his children, and by the blood of Jesus, he doesn't even remember what we did bad this year. Do you hear me? He doesn't remember it. Fat, watch, watch. This is good. Fasting is good to me. may not be good to you. Fasting tells God, I have the spiritual maturity to handle favor. Everybody wants favor, but everybody's not ready to handle favor. They want favor, but if, you, if you're not ready to handle it, you become arrogant and prideful, and you can fall away. Fasting says to God, my priorities are right, God. If you give me favor that I'm looking for, I'm going to use it for you and not just my flesh, and I'm going to give you favor. How many of you need favor on your job, on your boss, your business? How many of you need favor with, with, with family, with, with an open door for a new business, for friends, beyond? How many of you need favor for blessings beyond what you can even imagine or think? And see, we, all of us do. We, we don't ever want to be rebellious and hateful and arrogant with people. But sometimes when we need favor, we act in bad ways, and we don't get favor. We act ugly and mean. I don't know if you've ever seen Christians act ugly and mean, but I have. And I've seen them act that way right here in the house of God because they didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get the favor they wanted. They didn't get the position they wanted. They didn't get this. They didn't get that. And then on the job, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm this and I'm that, and I'm walking around. Oh, they didn't get the promotion. And then all of a sudden, they're acting ugly and mean. They're speaking about the boss. Listen, God's not going to give you favor if you can't carry favor. Hello. He, he just not, he's not going to waste it. And so here's what God says. I want you to say, say that I'm your promoter. I don't want, I need to think, I don't want to be anywhere you don't want me to be. Because if I can get myself there, I have to keep myself there. God, I want God to promote me, my talents, my abilities, my name, my destiny, my business. I want God's reputation. I want the reputation he wants. I want him to be my promoter because when I'm promoted with him, I'll be where he wants me to be and he'll be first. That's what fasting tells God. You can trust me with favor. You can bless me. I won't turn it against you. And God's a good God and a generous God, and he desires to open the windows of heaven to pour out blessings on us that we cannot contain. But will God bless? Is he going to bless those who turn it against him? I don't think so. So Daniel comes into Babylon. I need favor, but I'm not going to smooth to get it. And so here's what happens. He's found ten times better than all the other Babylonian guys in this, in this class. That's supernatural favor. Here's the last one, because I know you're hungry and you're ready to leave. 
Fasting produces freedom. Freedom at every level. Azariah means Yahweh, God has helped. I'm gonna, they're going to name him Abednego, servant of Nebo. He goes from trusting God to, to being under Nebo. James 4, 7. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will, close, and will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, and humble. Fasting does every one of those things. Fasting is submitting every area of my life to God. Fasting is resisting the devil in areas of temptation. Fasting is drawing near to God and cleansing myself from those things that are not in the right place in my life. Fasting is an instant humbling of my life. And here's what God promises. Catch this. He promises, if you'll do this, in return, the devil will flee. I'll draw near and lift you up. As soon as he draws near, the devil will flee. The enemy will flee. Why? Because he's going to lift you up. And he's not going to be around you if you're lifted up. He doesn't want to be near you. So here's what I'm saying. As we begin this fast, I pray that you will be part of this for 10 days. But I pray as much so that you will learn this. Over the rest of the year, you hit a challenge, you hit a crisis, you hit a wall. Fast a meal. Fast a day. Fast three days. Once you see this, and, and I know this goes against, it's like, okay, I wanted a real good, feel-good thing going on in this message, you know? I, I wanted to, but just this thing about fasting, you know? And, and when I fast food, it talks to me, and it cries out and says, here, come get me, you know, like vanilla wafers and ice cream and all that. I, I, I know, I know, I know, but, but I'm looking out more for the future in our spiritual realm so that as you face things, listen, as you go against things and you realize, oh, this is, I'm going to fast this meal, I'm going to fast this day, I'm going to do this. It, this principle, it doesn't have to be a corporate body fast to work to work. It can be working individually, and that's what you're going to learn from this. Fasting establishes God in your life. So before you start the fast, do this for me. Sit down and think about this. What is it you need from God? What do you need from God? What are you facing? What controls you? What do you want freedom from? What area do you need favor and as you're fasting, please don't forget to pray for the four directives that we'll put in your hand. Our children, our government, believers in this world that are persecuted and being martyred, and that people will come to Jesus Christ like never before. That's what's on my heart. I want to see people come to God. And that's what happened with Daniel and these guys in the worst of conditions. And that's what God wants to do with us. I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Father, may the words that have been spoken be received, and may people be prompted and challenged to come together on this fast. Lord, as we fast and we pray as you've directed us, may we grow and may we see the significance of what's going on. No, my flesh doesn't want to do it. My natural desires don't want to do it. I, 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 but if we'll do it, We'll see the benefits from it in our lives. And we will realize, just like Daniel did, that the next time something comes against my conscience, against my faith, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fast and pray. We will walk in victories and thrive in this land if we'll do this because you're God and you're still in control. Bless your people as they receive this in Jesus' name. Here's the second thing. Look at me. You may be sitting here, and you may have realized, you know what? 
I, I don't know a Jesus like you know a Jesus. I, I know about it here, but I haven't experienced him here. I don't know that I can do that. I, 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 I don't know him. He, he hasn't changed me from the inside out. But listen to me. Listen to me. Please listen. This is not a scare tactic. You cannot thrive in this time without Jesus. You just can't do it. Forget, listen, oh, I'm so out of town. I, you know why I wrestled with this? And, and, and I'm getting into some controversial stuff through this series, and I know it, but, but I'm, I'm doing what the Lord told me to do. But listen to me. I was taught this, this, and this. I was raised up with this, this, and this. And I was raised up with this fear, and this fear, and this fear, and this. I had to wrestle through the fear of what this culture is going to do or say to get to the point to say, oh, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. The culture's going to do what the culture's going to do. But I don't have to do what the culture's going to do. And if you don't have Jesus as Lord of your life, if he's not Lord of your life, if he's not number one, you, you, you can't do what you want to do spiritually. You're going to have good intentions, but you're not going to do it. You're going to go with the world. You're going to go with the flow. When you have Christ, you're going to go against the flow. But you have the power and the love and the authority to go against the flow. Because, listen, when we talk about our children next week, I, I know. There's, there's people who told me, man, I'm, I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for my grandkids. Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you what the Word says. And if you'll do what the Word says, you don't have to live in fear about your kids. You just step back and watch what your kids are going to do for the kingdom of God. We've got to get out of this fear mode. We, we, we can't be intimidated in our children. Our children pick it up. They know what we're, who we are and what we do. And we can't pick that up and pass it on to our children. We, we have to understand the kingdom we live in and the culture we live in. It's different from this, but I have to activate and operate in this kingdom and not let the other kingdom pull me apart. I'm preaching again. i got to stop. I'm out of time. I'm way out of time. Honest. No, no heads bowed, no eyes called. Look at me. Look at me in this room, at the campuses, online, all of you. If you don't know Jesus Christ right here, you're not sure that he is, he's first. He's your judge. Hold your hand up. Nothing, nothing wrong with the question. Hold him up all across the room. Come on, hold him up. Come on, all across this room. Hands, hands. Let's pray this together. All of us pray this together. Okay, you ready? Let's pray this. Jesus, we love you. We know you love us. And we want you in our lives. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask you to take control, be the king, be the Lord of my life. I want to thrive and fulfill every purpose you have for my life, even if the culture's gone haywire. I refuse to give up what you have planned for me in Jesus' name.